welcome to The Learning Zone, the podcast that takes learning seriously, but not itself. We create the space to unlock human potential with an understanding of science, leadership development, and practical experience. Individuals, leaders, and organizations are facing unprecedented levels of change. So how are we growing, learning, and improving at the pace of it? We are Rob and Rob. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Learning Zone podcast, the podcast that takes learning seriously, but not itself. You're joined, as always, by Rob and Rob. Rob, it's been a while since we spoke. How are you doing? What's news? What's happening? Thanks, Rob. Um, It's been a a very uh, productive and fulfilling week. Um, Yeah, a lot's been happening. I think we're getting into, you know, the third, deep into the third quarter of the year, and I think in the South African context, a lot of organizations are prioritizing learning and leadership and people development initiatives and realizing that, um, unfortunately, this this pandemic that we've had to endure is not something that's going to go away so swiftly. And as much as we'd love it to subside and go away, um, there's going to be potentially a fourth wave, maybe less severe now that uh, a large chunk of our population is being vaccinated. But yeah, all good. Been a great week and um, really, really exciting. We've got uh, locally some some exciting things happening. You know, the Olympics is on. I'm forever um, engaged in that. I love seeing athletes perform at the highest level. So I'll be glued to the TV this weekend. And then um, for our international listeners is a huge uh, rugby test. So those who don't know rugby, but uh, our local team, the Springboks, are playing the British and Irish Lions in a in a huge decider uh, in a three-match test series, and I think most South Africans will be watching that keenly. So a great weekend of of sport, and um, as our restrictions um, come down or um, are lessened, should I say, uh, seeing a lot of family and friends. How about you? Definitely, Rob. I think there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, there is the acceptance of the harsh reality that COVID's definitely going to be with us for quite some time in varying waves of success and uh, times of testing. But there is a lot to be excited about. I mean, the sports is really great. I mean, uh, the decider of the rugby this weekend and the Olympics. I've really got into the Olympics. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm realizing more and more that I'm two things as I get older. I grow increasingly cynical and jaded by the reality of the world. Uh, Some call it realism, borderline pessimism. And I also realize I'm insatiably curious. I just love learning about anything. And um, I get really into sports. I was watching, I think for about three hours, I watched fencing the other day and got really into the rules, the dynamics. Uh, They use a lot of um, electrodes and different senses and different forms of attack and defense. And then after that, I get into equestrian. I mean, yeah, it's a whole rabbit hole of sport and fun. And uh, it reminds me that there's something outside of COVID uh, to get stuck into, which has been a nice, uh, refreshing time. I mean, watching the Olympics, really, really enjoyed that. Quickly, Rob, before we get into the episode, what have you watched from the Olympics? What's been uh, your best so far? Sure, I've watched some really interesting stuff because I, I love I love seeing athleticism in different forms and in different modes. Um you know, you you see the subtleties and um, the beauty and the flexibility of the women doing gymnastics um, and and what they're able to do with their bodies. I find that incredible. Um, I'm not the most subtle, uh, supple and um, um, flexible <laughs> individual myself. Years of running and cycling, but 
that for me, I always, I'm, I'm always fascinated by and completely amazed at their strength, not only from a core standpoint, but what they can do with their bodies. Um, and then I've watched some really unique and interesting uh, modes of, of or, or should I say, sporting codes within the Olympics. I watched um, skateboarding, street skateboarding last night, which as a kid, I used to rollerblade and skateboard. And, and um, street skating actually came from California, where they used to skate in dugout swimming pools. And so I watched that last night, the men's, and um, it was phenomenal what these guys can do on a skateboard. So I suppose the variety and um, the athleticism, athleticism, as I said, across all of the different codes is incredible. Yeah, I, I definitely have been watching the action sports in particular, uh, pool and street skateboarding, surfing, and now rock climbing as well, entering. Uh, and it makes me think, you know, in the next 20 years, what other sports will be added? And it might be controversial but something to think about that esports might eventually be an olympic discipline uh the way that things are going i mean and the the kind of money that sits behind esports and gaming and what's possible out there i mean you know I, I love thinking about the future and the future does seem quite exciting in that space and you know thinking about the future what we wanted to really talk about today is i think the single biggest concern of every client we've been talking to this week we talk about doing different kinds of work with regards to performance, emotional intelligence, team cohesion, uh, diversity and inclusion, agility, and everyone is talking about the same thing, and that's hybrid. This hybrid model, and it's something we've been living with for over 18 months, and we still haven't got it right. I mean, in the beginning of COVID, we all rushed to say, does everyone have an internet connection at home? Do the computers work? Are things okay? Okay, great. Everyone can. Everyone is connected and now we carry on. But just because we have an internet connection doesn't mean we really feel connected as a team. And there are so many dynamics at play that affect the effective and ineffective way that we engage in this hybrid and virtual or remote or both model. And it's something that I think people are going to vacillate between for the next year or two, you know, and, and what is the perfect mix of the two? And how do we keep ultimately our staff engaged, motivated and fulfilled? And, you know, we, we've, we've had some really incredible insights from businesses who've got it right or seem to have got it right. And then you think they've got it right and then the feedback is that some staff are unhappy and that they feel ostracized or excluded or feel like they're not able to do their jobs as best as they could working from home. And then you've got some chains of thought where many organizations have gone completely back when that's been allowed um, with the different levels of restriction. And then people feel like their freedom and their autonomy and the ability to work from home has been taken away. And that frustration perpetuates into poor behaviors, poor engagement and um, you know, them feeling, you know, as I say, even more frustrated and aggrieved that they can't do what they want. But Rob, I think, I think to your point is, why do you think that's the case? For me, that's been something I've been thinking about. And, and we've been privy to quite a lot of research, industry-wide we research of what people prefer. And, um, you know, the one, the one piece of, of information we got was that um, research we did across a thousand respondees in the states um, with our global business, and that, in actual fact, you couldn't separate those people who prefer working from home, working virtually, or whether they had a balance of the two. It was almost thirty-seven percent, thirty-five percent, and the balance with the rest. Yeah, it, 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 you know, 
that's some early research and it's been replicated in different contexts and the numbers vary, but the theme doesn't. And the theme is really, there's no one solution that suits the entire business. That's the golden thesis there. If you make everyone remote, if you make everyone work from the office, or if you do a truly hybrid, a mix of both model, you're going to have two thirds of the business that are going to be unhappy and they're going to be willing to leave. That's really the thesis there, right? Um, and now if you just put in another layer of vaccinations, and I don't want to get too much into vaccinations because then that could be another conspiracy podcast we could we could launch. Um, both uh, myself and Rob are for vax, uh, vaccinations in case anyone's wondering out there. <laughs> uh, and, if we, and if we lose any listeners, that's okay as well uh, saying that. But, um, you know, now companies are thinking, do we make it compulsory to have vaccinations if you want to come into the office? Because then now that's another layer of hybrid or not. Because then we say you can come into the office, but you have to have a vaccination. But then you also have to respect people's human rights to choose what to do with their own bodies, which is very fair, very valid. But then how do you protect the people that want to be vaccinated? And I, I was talking to um, a major insurance provider this week where they were grappling with that challenge. And they, you know, very colloquially or funnily said, well, we are going to have a mandated vaccination policy. Uh, and for those that don't want to get vaccinated, maybe we'll make a separate part of the office available for them or make force them to wear a hazmat suit. And the guys are kind of joking and saying and jest and whatever else. And I'm sure they won't go to that level. But those are the things that are kind of on the table as options because what can you do, right? So there's even another layer of vaccinations that complicates the in-group, out-group thing. And, you know, the layer that we're really looking at is, you know, a topic that we have been looking at around um, trying to please all the employees right now. Because, you know, Rob, I know you've been talking about the great resignation as a big theme that we're seeing with people right now uh, if they are not happy with where they work. And making the choice of whether to be hybrid or not, all the rules and restrictions, is not only about being effective and how we perform, but also whether we keep our employees. Yeah, the, the great resignation is something that uh, we've read quite a bit about. I think in the United States, they're calling this period uh, with the onset of COVID and the last 18 months, the great resignation. And that's because I think as you've touched on now, so many organizations haven't got it right. And it's easier said than done. But how do you appease um, your employees', employees desire for autonomy and flexibility and how they manage all of the demands placed on them? Not just their work demands, but just their day-to-day -day existence and the things that are demanded of them in their life outside of work. And what's happening is they're talking about between 30 to 40% of employees within many, many large organizations um, electing and having been exposed to working flexibly and now being told they need to come back to work saying, well, actually, I realized what I what my worth is and I've realized that that, that, that is my preference to work from home because it allows me to be with my kids more um, to juggle lift clubs and fetching children, um, to prepare meals for my family easier, all those sorts of things that just become a natural course of events. Many of them are finding, well, I'll find an organization that will allow me to do that. So in actual fact, the the the, um, the re recruitment and uh, selection, or should I say recruitment industry in the United States is thriving because so many jobs and vacancies are now becoming available for people choosing to, to as I say, um, work in a way that suits them and what they've been exposed to that they can keep doing. 
definitely. And I think what the what's not really important about that is employees are so or employers are so worried about losing people to resignations. So they want to give everyone the autonomy. That's okay, fine. You decide what you want to do. We'll we'll put out the parameters. We'll give you an optional office, which is definitely something where employees and employers are experimenting with because they don't want to lose employees. I will also give a caveat to say that works in economies where jobs are freely available. Uh, in you know some African countries, particularly South Africa, where we're dialing in from, where we largely work in this economy with forty five percent unemployment, seventy percent in youth. People are less likely to resign because jobs aren't readily available. But then what they do is they put up with, uh, you know, the inhumane working conditions and they burn out eventually and, and, and suffer as a result. So there are there are really, you know, dramatic uh, impacts uh, to with regards to engagement, pre- uh, presenteeism, absenteeism as well. But the real caveat to this is we think, so many employers give people the autonomy. Let them choose what they want. And we know the science behind it, very clear. Autonomy is one of the natural drivers of the brain. Autonomy is having freedom and control over outcomes. And it's a survival instinct. To survive, we have to have control of what's going to happen to us. And giving people more autonomy makes sense. But here's the thing. is Through the lens of diversity, by giving people more autonomy we think we're being more inclusive because now we can hire different people, we can give more autonomy around what we can do in different ways. But from a diversity perspective, there's actually a very big challenge we need to underline here because when you give people diversity, certain groups choose the same thing and it further perpetuates inequality. And that is a big topic that we really want to double click on in, in today's episode because reading some of the research done before the pandemic and now during the pandemic and also living it ourselves with our clients and within our own team, not everyone has the same access to hybrid, which has become evidently clear. And if we embrace hybrid with the wrong kind of mindset, we're going to further perpetuate inequality. And I'll just talk about one example um, around, around gender. There's already emerging research that when you give people an opportunity to say, you choose where you want to work from, it's mostly the primary caregiver of the household that's choosing to work from home. And in most countries, that happens to be women. Women already are on the back foot with regard to gender inequality and pay gaps around the world. And now it's being further perpetuated during the hybrid model. Because we also know that there's a definite in-group and out-group with regards to work from the office, work from home, when given the choice, certain demographics are choosing to do either or. And we actually, despite our great intentions of increasing diversity, being more inclusive, we're unintentionally, with the wrong hybrid model, further perpetuating inequality. Rob, what you've touched on there is so key because it's something that many, many, and if we look at from a gender parity and a gender standpoint, particularly the biases, is that as men, we often don't understand the inherent desire of women, particularly who are professionals and are career motivated and driven, to care for and be close to their, their children. And I think we had an interesting example now where we were working with a business and a sales team, and, and there was a lot of frustration around how they were servicing their clients from a virtual standpoint. And the one individual, this woman, spoke out about the fact that, you know, a lot of the males in her team don't actually understand how many things she is juggling at home. One, she's working out of a, a smaller apartment 
where her two children often come home from school and in the afternoon is is the preference of some of their clients to hold meetings. And the her line manager said to her, you know, quite quite firmly and explicitly after one client meeting, please, 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 I, we've asked you before, please can you make sure that you keep your children in a different room or you put yourself in a room where your kids aren't because there's a lot of background noise and it's affecting how we engage with the client. And she she said, you know, I don't think people understand that when I'm at home with my children, there are certain demands of me and they rely on me for certain things. I can't go to another room and um, and support them. I often have to unmute myself and not share my camera so I can actually jump off, still listen to the computer and go back and help them get food or get something they need so that they can play on their own. And I think sometimes we forget how many things people are juggling in this hybrid world, that as they become accustomed to working in it, there are many things that they have to do whilst they are doing uh, what's expected of them from a business standpoint. And it was really enlightening for me because that's a challenge I think many people are facing, trying to show up as the best version of themselves, prove their worth, demonstrate their value, and really deliver on on what's expected of them. But being at home requires a lot of them. And and Rob, gender is just one example of that. And I'm talking about gender in the wider terms of gender stereotyped caregiver roles, which are not the same in every family, yes. but they exist as, as, as a data and a trend. The other slice to this equation is socioeconomic status. So people of a lower income or lower socioeconomic access to resources and opportunities have different access to a nice place to work at home. I mean, there was one client, we, we were joking offline about it this week, um, a major financial institution where the one exec dialed in and he's dialed in from the third floor of a double volume ceiling where there's a huge painting in the background and all these murals and everything. It looked like he's dialing in from a palace. <laughs> and I was thinking, geez, that looks better than the office actually. Uh, looks fantastic, you know. And other members of the team don't have the same, you know, palatial hybrid work from home setup. They don't have as good internet. They maybe have two or three generations in a household. Um, and they have a different setup to work from. So when both of those individuals are given a choice, the person with lower access to opportunities and resources is probably going to take public transport and work from the from the office, where the person who doesn't need to and has that great setup at home is able to do that. And there's already emerging data done now and prior to the pandemic that career progression is negatively affected by people that work remotely as opposed to the office. So if you give people a choice and the people with higher status and resources are able to do that, you're further perpetuating those groups, those in-groups, those out-groups. And if you're struggling to you know, make that example come to life, think about a time when you've dialed in on a call and someone has a bad connection. When someone has a bad connection, they're pretty much a second-class citizen on that call. And that bad connection is just one layer of it. Then it's also availability. It's demands in the household because we have unprecedented access to everyone's households right now. And if we're not getting hybrid rights, we're actually further perpetuating uh, the existing inequalities that exist in a lot of contexts right now. Yeah, I love what you just said there because you know you mentioned a second-class citizen, but I think we've all felt that way. Our biases play out is why is this person so broken and intermittent in what they're saying? And they're trying to share an important component of what you're discussing or add a valuable contribution, and you just can't get the gist of it. 
and in that example you spoke to, it was amazing that you spoke to that, you know, whilst people are working virtually, they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And I remember the one example on that exact call was the leader um, said, um, rather turn your camera off if your signal or your Wi-Fi is, is broken um, or you're struggling with bandwidth. And um, they then switched their camera off. And I think then there's another whole dynamic that plays out in hybrid and that you can't have that, you don't see the person, you, you, you're unlikely to involve them and include their voice. You just see those initials on MS Teams or, or Zoom. And I think that adds another dynamic of how consciously inclusive you are in the meeting itself and how often you take their perspective. So as you said, it changes the whole dynamic of meetings, of engagements, and how you collaborate with everyone on the call. And that's just a natural wiring of the brain. We are riddled with bias. Bias serves us. It helps us conserve mental and cognitive capacity that we have. And if we can't see and hear people, we unconsciously don't think of them as often. And we actually don't favor them as often with people that we can see and hear, either with their videos on or in person. Um, and if we talk about, you know, just shifting into what we can experiment to do differently around this hybrid model to perhaps mitigate some of those biases and be more radically inclusive, there are a few things that we can start to do differently. And the very first part of that is to lead with empathy. A lot of us right now are very focused on output driven business decisions, always having an MS Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting with an agenda. But how are we leading with empathy to be truly you know, empathetic around what people are dealing with behind the camera right now, around what's happening in their household if they are dealing from that and where are the imbalances between people that even if we are dialing in virtually from separate rooms in the office, I still see that person at the water cooler. I still see them in the canteen or the restaurant and it's unfair on those relationships as opposed to a person I only see in that 60-minute Zoom call we have at 10 o'clock every day. So we need to be more empathetic of the imbalances that are at play and try and build more common ground uh, to be much more radically inclusive. Because if we're not deliberately doing that, I think the data is very clear on the fact that we're further perpetuating outgroups and in-groups to a much larger extent. The empathy is so key, Rob. I think once, you, once you're consciously aware of a differing demands placed on people working virtually and often why they've elected in the first place to work from home rather than come into an office. I think you have a different lens into any engagement to every conversation. And a lot of that is around, is around as you say, finding common ground, but having a more human approach to how you engage um, in hybrid. You know, what you're dealing with, how's the family, um, what other things are you doing today, um, you know, particularly people have children or particularly if they're juggling multiple things. So, I think an empathetic view always stands leaders, managers, and people in business um, in good stead in terms of how they interact. And I think another another important point is also to focus on very clear goals for people right now um, and really focus on having much more um, inclusive meetings from, 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 from that standpoint. Having more interactions with very clear goals because a lot of the time we try and have lots of meetings that are overwhelming people. But if we have clear goals, we don't need to meet as often. Or if we do, they need to be shorter meetings. So we can meet more but with shorter meetings, but have very clear goals for people. And stick to the goals because the hybrid and people that work from the office and not is creating first-class and second-class citizens. 
And we really need to actively mitigate that by giving everyone the same goals, irrespective of where they're working from, and take into consideration the advantages that are afforded people that work from the office. Yeah, I love that. I think we, you know, it's 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 not indifferent to a lot of the things we've mentioned for for years on end, and we've spoken about before. But you know, once once you are very clear, articulate, and you have made. Um, provided that context around what it is the person needs to do, what's expected of them, and how often you'll check in with them, then you don't need to have those ad hoc check-ins or set up a meeting to discuss something that you've already agreed prior. Um, It happens seamlessly, and uh, you can reduce the amount of check-in type conversations because you're checking in around things that are pretty trivial for the most part or things that you've already agreed upon. And you know, Rob, I I don't even feel that those, you know, habits and tips are even part of the golden bullets for this challenge. And I think that's really because we haven't got it. And I don't think we'll have it for every industry, for every company and for every situation. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. And everyone wants to get it right. And the real answer is there's no right answer for everyone. But there are things we should be starting to avoid when trying to tackle this challenge. And part of it is realizing that there's definitely a difference between people that work from the office and don't, and we should be cognizant of that as we embrace this hybrid model. Because there's so much potential in what it can achieve, but we must just do it by experimenting and following what the outcomes become in that situation. Yeah, I think that the, the, what hybrid's done is it's once again shrunk the world even more from a from a sta- from from many many standpoints i think talent pools rise because you're not just limited to selecting and recruiting people from within your geogra- geographic region you can go further afield i think from a collaboration standpoint and the use of technology that's enhanced in many aspects um and i think it allows we spoke about the power of autonomy and flexibility in terms of how people work but once again if you have a hybrid approach you need to make sure that there is alignment, there's there is mutual understanding, and we are doing the things that enable people to thrive. So Rob, I think that's just been, you know, a, a great short conversation on hybrid. I think it's one we're going to definitely revisit throughout this series. But um, just some food for thought around how we can really better navigate this hybrid challenge and what are some of the landmines we may be stepping on. I've always enjoyed uh, our conversations. Today's been a great episode. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. Again, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and uh, we look forward to the next conversation from me. Goodbye for now. Ciao, everyone.